Yes. Woo! Yes! BT with Tales from a Gemini. And man, let's just get right to it. Thank you, Malik. You know, when I first got back into motorcycles, when I moved to Indy, and uh, I went to MotoGP, I think it was in 2007. And I was just, I mean, just really just soaking in all this motorcycle knowledge and racing and everything. Came across this website, Moto, it was MotoGP Matters back then. And it it was the most exclusive, but it, everything motorcycle, because I, I love motorcycle, I love motorcycle racing. And I was just, I immersed myself in that website. And somehow I came across the creator of that website. And he was so gracious and so nice to me. And we've been, I can honestly say friends. And now I get a chance to interview what I call the man, Mr. David Emmett. How are you, Dave? I am fine, but I'm not the man. I am a man, BT. <laughs> no, you are. Man, you know, it's so, I was, you know, you have no idea. Like this is, uh, I've been doing this over a year now. And you've always been like, do I really want to talk to this guy? Because I know your level of intelligence. And I mean it from the bottom. Of your level of intelligence is like, that's why if you notice in the paddock, when I see you, it's more of a high and by. How you been, Dave? And I just keep <laughs> going because I know when I talk to you, your level is here. If it, if it comes to like well, vocabulary and intelligence, you're in a gated community and I'm more like in public housing. And so I have <laughs> nothing in common with you. And so I just keep it moving, man. I mean, I'm serious. I go, I have nothing for this guy. He'd be like fighting 1986 Mike Tyson. I'm like, I got nothing for this guy. I think you underestimate yourself, my friend. <laughs> no, Dave. I mean, no. speaking of public housing, that's pretty much uh, where I, you know, I'm in the basement, uh, uh, squatting in someone's basement in the public housing because they won't let me in. So don't worry about it. No, man, it, it, it's, it's the truth, though, man, because, I mean, like I said, I, I read your tweets religiously and always have been because your extensive knowledge of motorcycles and and it's not just motorcycles, it's just life in general. Put it this way. If you guys happen to go to his website and, I, you know, I do this for everybody because I always say it's not it, it's not the subject. It's for the people who don't know about motorcycles and, and they want to take a peek in and see what is all this about. And I go to just know you, you go to the website, motomatters.com and you write under a synonym called Krokopkin, who was Kropotkin. a- Yeah, it, it was a 19th century Russian prince. Yes, yes, indeed. A uh, uh, Russian prince, uh, anarchist, uh, scientist, uh, and all around. Uh, and his biography is just absolutely charming. He was a, a genuinely nice, open, um interesting man just interested in the world that i think if you're not interested in the world then what you're doing you know there's so much to see so much to learn and th and that's where i go i, I can't talk to this guy because i looked it up and I go, <laughs> how did you even come across that i mean how did i mean how did i mean how did i mean radar uh just following politics as a uh, as a young man just uh, you know i did a i think i did a course on anarchism at one point as part of a philosophy course um i found it very interesting obviously you know there's there's lots of uh politics which is interesting and it was an interesting piece of philosophy um and i just enjoyed the way that he wrote he wrote basically he started with um uh, because there's this he was writing in the 19th century when we had Darwinism, you know, and the thing was, you know, the um, it, it was all about sort of conflict and the survival of the fittest and all the rest. And the survival of the fittest is about, uh, you know, being the best fit in your niche, in your environmental niche sort of thing. And so uh, Kropotkin wrote about uh, mutual aid. He wrote about how species work together, which is why there's, you know, like everyone thinks of tigers and lions and stuff. And uh, uh, but actually there are more zebras than uh, than there are tigers or lions because the, 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 the zebras work together, man, because they because because they all live together. So this thing about how uh, cooperation is strong as well. And to bring it back to racing like we all idolize uh mark marquez valentino rossi all these riders who are just amazing but they without their team they're nothing you know if yes. you're not in a right team there are all of these great great riders who if they weren't in that team they don't have the right people around them uh, then they are then they're nowhere so that's what i like also about racing it's like it's an incredibly competitive environment but you don't get anywhere unless you collaborate unless you work together so that's beautiful. You bring it all back to racing. But I think it being an uh, open-minded person 
or whatever, and expanding your mind and, and gathering knowledge from other places that you wouldn't think, it does kind of fit into the realm of what you're doing. If you think about that, anything can apply, yeah. anything can. So I think that's you could get your. Yeah, you get your inspiration from anywhere. You know, I mean, like it's 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 literally uh, as long as you can see parallels, as long as you can see uh, like uh, you have to sort of see like, OK, they do this this way elsewhere. You know, so how does that fit into my world? Uh, you know, how does it how does it work in my world? Is that an idea which which I could use in my life or whatever it's or, or in the sports the, in the sport that I love? I mean, like, for example, uh, I actually learned a lot about of a lot to think a lot about MotoGP and the way that contracts work and all the rest of it uh, by listening to uh, podcasts about the NFL and about sort of that kind of like analytics approach to it or that kind of like contract approach. So you see all of this stuff about silly season, who's going to go where and everyone wants to go, why doesn't, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, why doesn't Vinales go to, why doesn't Vinales go to Aprilia or Vinales go to, uh, go to Honda or whatever? And yeah, you sort of think, well, why, who would, why would Honda want such a rider? Why would Ducati want such a rider? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to achieve? When you do that and sort of cut it down and start to think in terms of contracts, then it becomes sort of very different. But that's, that's an inspiration which comes from listening to something else, you know? Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I get I get dorky and I get really really into the rabbit hole of motorcycle racing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. When you come outside of it, even inspiration from music, like okay, so like yeah, you, you study uh, you know anarchist whatever, and I hear you were sort of a punk growing up, like you were in the punk rock. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very much. Like, did you have the mohawk? Uh, I did, yes, <laughs> but I don't have I don't don't have the hair for it now. You know, I don't have enough hair to. Uh, actually do anything so fortunately i grew up in the times before digital cameras so uh, no uh, no photographs exist of me in digital form was it a colored mohawk was it cut was it spiked no 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 no. it was just no no no. it was um uh in fact the uh, other punks used to tell me off for it not being mohawky enough so um it was uh not being mohawky enough yeah exactly so did you have the leather exactly. on with the leather jacket and the and the, and the uh the fingerless gloves didn't have the fingerless gloves. Didn't have the leather. I had sort of, sort of, you know, the, the ripped jeans and the ripped jackets, and uh, generally uh, just uh, a poor standards of first, uh, poor standards of dress. <laughs> nah, who are there you were some clubs that there were some nightclubs that they wouldn't let me into, and there were some clubs which they would let me into because I, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't dressed uh, uh, tidily and neatly and all the rest of it. Well, they were kicking the people in the in the smart t-shirts and trainers out. So, who, who were your favorite groups back then? Who did, who did you who did you get into? Uh, Stranglers, Damned, uh, Crass, The Clash. Yes. Uh, favorite Clash song. Favorite sort of Clash thing. song. Who's your favorite Clash song? Um, there's so many. There's so many good ones. I mean, like London's Burning is obviously just really, really good. Um, but uh, uh, stuff like you know, like Rudy can't fail always cheers me up. What 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 was about uh, that, that culture that 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 talked to you at that time in your life? Like, what was about it that 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 just made you go, "Yes, this is me right now"? Because I was an angry young man. Uh, why, and why were you angry? Know, why, why were you angry at, at, at the world? Yeah, I mean, I was a, because I was a teenager. Like, you know, that's <laughs> and and just the imposition of any form of authority I found onerous and did not enjoy. So, um, uh, any any chance to rebel? This is it. This is like this is why I still have a lot of time for kids. You know, like teenagers. Teenagers should be angry and want to smash things because that's very much. Otherwise, there is no change in the world unless um, it comes from people who want to change the world. Do you know what I mean? And the young people have got, young people have got less to lose, more to gain by, by changing things. When you get older, it's easy to get stuck in a rut, to, to, to get comfortable. Do you know what I mean? And I always think it, being comfortable is really, really dangerous. Yes, uh, yes. You know, yeah, you end up doing the same thing and you find... You know, you, you 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 can't adapt, and the world changes around you, and you find yourself sort of stuck. So I'm all for people. This is something I have, a, or not an argument. This is a disagreement or a a, a, dif a difference of philosophical of a sort of perspective I have with my wife, because my wife hates sort of you know all this technological change and all the rest of it, and I just see it as inevitable, and uh, ignore the bits that I don't like, and sort of try to go along with the bits that I uh, that uh, that I can. Well, I think it was Bono who said, good is the enemy of great. 
you know? And I think yeah, if, you, yeah. Yeah. And if you, you're like, okay, this is good enough. Well, then that, that's going to be a detriment to you because you're not going to strive to get better. And the weird thing about my life is, I, and you know, you said you were an angry teenager. As a teenager, I was so happy. I mean, I was good. And so, but <laughs> now I'm more angry now in life than I was as a teenager. And I feel like I'm regressing in that manner. Like, I'm like more social issues are pissing me off now and make me yeah. angry and I rage, or I'm, I'm just a raging lunatic at home. Like I have to get out. Otherwise I'm, I feel like I'm gonna strangle somebody. I feel like I'm a walking time bomb. And I go, man, I should have had this when I was younger. I mean, like, like London calling hits me harder now than it did when I first heard it. I mean, it's like, 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 but man, now I just feel like on your like if I hear Rage Against Machine or 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 any yeah, yeah, yeah. like that type, I just really want to put my fist through a wall and like I feel that and what society's done to us and and how everything's coming to light as far as society goes, you know, like with the with the Tulsa massacre and all the stuff that's coming out. And I grew up yeah, in yeah, Oklahoma, yeah. and you just and I'm just not finding it. And I had to go and I'm from Oklahoma. They never said anything about that. There's people that yep. don't never yep, yep, know yep, about yep. this. So now. I feel that rage now. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can go, you know, get away with the mohawk and, and, and the leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I feel you might, that. You might have to buy one to stick on. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Who knows? Maybe I'll get a hairpiece, try to fit in with the youngsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But I feel that more angst yeah. now. So that's why I was asking, because I feel like my life is in reverse. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, but I mean, it, 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 it's still the same. I still get very angry about certain social, uh, yeah, social situations, social justice, social, um, uh, the, the, the way that society is organized when you see certain, uh, you know, systemic injustices, it's just, it's just frustrating. And it's also frustrating because you see them looking back. I mean, when I look back at myself as an angry, uh, angry teenager, I see lots of things where I think, God, that was stupid. Um, but I also see things like, no, no, I was right about that. It's just I didn't understand it fully. But it's just as you get older, I mean, it's like I say, it's just about having an open mind and looking around at the world and trying to understand the world as it is, not as, the, as you would like it to be. Maybe try and make it as you would like it to be. But that's uh, hard. But that's what I've always done. I mean, that's what I've always respected about you and your reading. Like when it was really going down last summer with the riots and everything, I just remember like reading your tweets and man, like I knew that was coming from a good place. It wasn't just a bunch of, hey, look at me. I'm trying to act like I'm, you know, this or whatever. I'm, I mean, I knew that came from a good place with you. And I've always respected that about you. Is that just a, your humanity? And sometimes it sounds easy enough going, you know, you know, just be human, just have an open heart or show some compassion, some empathy for people. And, and some people, it's hard for them to do. And when I read your stuff, mm. I was like, yes, I mean, you get it. I mean, I, like, I was like, why, how hard is it for some people to do that? And, but you did it. And that's why I think I've always just looked up to you because you were just more than just a journalist on motorcycle. And when you stepped out of that realm and you hit those people right between the nose, right on the nose, on the button, and you know you did because they say something like, oh, just stick to motorcycles and what you know. Yeah. And that's when you know you hit the right button. And then you go, you know what? I don't need this blocked. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exactly. <I'm> just, yeah. <laughs> You don't take yeah, shit exactly. from nobody. You clap back. But yo, your humanitarianism, that's what I love the most about you, Dave. I mean, your extensive knowledge is great, but man, just your heart and just being a basic good human being, never saying that you're the best, never saying that you're right or wrong, but this is how I feel. And can't we just see it from their side of view, from their point yeah. of view, and just be human? And that's what I yeah. love about you. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, I have mm, had really difficult times in my life and I've always felt uh, I suppose especially since I sort of went started for my started working for myself started writing for the website uh, like you're literally you you feel like you're teetering on the precipice all the time like you're about to fall off like you are sort of you know 36 hours from homelessness all the time and so that gives you a different perspective you know what I mean that yeah. gives you the perspective like okay you can't take it for granted it's not everything this way and you feel when I you know see someone in really difficult situation i feel empathy for them because i'm absolutely terrified that it could be me do you know what i mean oh trust uh, me I know. and i don't think I, yeah, yeah 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 i don't think i don't i don't think i do enough to help others um that's because i'm a bit antisocial. but apart from that uh it, it's just you know it's really uh 
I mean, I know what it's, it, it, I can see what it's like. I can see how difficult it is, you know? Um, and I also know, so for example, like with, with police shootings, I've been pulled over plenty of times by, by the police and they've always been incredibly polite to me and I've always been very polite to them. And I know they've been incredibly polite to them because I speak very nicely and I'm very white and uh, I, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to give me any, any trouble, but it's just, and also reading stories of, you know, like black kids growing up and being taught how to respond to the police to make sure that they're not being shot. Like nobody had to do that to me yeah. because like, I, that was not something that was ever going to happen to me. You know, I mean, like the worst thing was going to happen was I was going to get sort of nicked for shoplifting. Um, and that was it. So, so that, that sort of horror of that, I mean, it's about empathy. And I think also like to take it back to racing, one of the things about empathy is you, you also try to understand when I'm writing about a, uh, a racer i'm listening to what he's saying and i'm trying to put myself in his situation in their situation trying to find out what they're feeling what their motivations might be beyond you know like obviously i want to win the race but you know why are you in this situation uh how did it happen what do you want what are you trying to achieve those sort of things that comes from a place of empathy and that that place of empathy is much wider than just um uh yeah i mean that that doesn't just apply to racing that applies to everything that applies to everything in the world, you know, yes. to everyone in the world, everyone is living their lives and they have their own motivations and all the rest of it. And what drives them, why, why they are the way they are is, is what makes life so interesting. It's the why, you know, it's the why. Yeah. 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 Why? Oh yeah. 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 A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like it's the only question that I'm interested in is like, why? Right. I'm literally about three years old. You know when you know when toddlers get to a certain age, and we're going, "Why, mummy? Why, mummy? Why?" Like that's like, that was the phase I never grew out of, basically. So, what is your why? What is your why in life? What is your why? My why? Well, I mean, you know, just to get to the end, really, just to sort of. Uh, I mean, my why? I, I, I like. I just like learning things that's all so yes. like when i see something i want to puzzle something out so why why is that happening and then sort of try and figure it out and that gives you a certain amount of uh, uh that sort of gives you a certain amount of pleasure a certain amount of satisfaction of course you know it's yeah why like why would i want a dirt bike at this age when you know i should be learning how to <laughs> invest money and in, 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 i'm buying a two-stroke dirt bike and i'm trying to ride ride and, and not hit a tree in the woods i mean that, that's i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah, but that's that's mental health, man. That is you're, you're looking after your mental health, and that's extremely important. I cannot emphasize in these difficult times how important it is. Like literally, like uh, last year, all through the all through the pandemic, uh, like I took up cycling. I went up, you know, I went cycling a lot. I rode I rode my motorcycle a lot. Uh, I actually went because the thing is, like, uh, I've lived in Holland for hang on, gotta work it out, something like 30, 30 something years anyway, a long time. Uh, and there's so much the country, even though it's absolutely tiny. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, it's like 200 miles by 150 miles, maybe max. Uh, and there's so much of it I haven't seen. And I, uh, uh, like last year, I seized the opportunity just to go around while you're worrying about what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the world, what's going to happen to racing, what's going to happen to me in my life. Am I going to be able to carry on doing this? Uh, just, you know, you know, just poodling around these little country roads, uh, exploring the country it gives you a bit of perspective and it's just really good for your mind. I used to, when I would used to ride motorcycles, I used to listen to like podcasts or music or whatever. And I just stopped, stopped listening to So there's nothing, there's just you and the motorcycle and the environment. And, and it sort of, it's meditation, you know, it, it closes the world down. You can only do one thing. Yes. I mean, I feel this. I mean, honestly, it's funny you say that it's the same for me. Now, me, I'm more of a dork. And I uh, and so mentally and I say this because once you become a certain age in life, you almost said it. You almost said it where I mean, it's not as fun as it used to be. So you got to find something to get a mentally. I always say you got to mentally yeah. mind fuck your way through this. So whatever gets you through, yeah. do that. So me mentally. I feel I am a MotoGP rider. So I go, what I got to do now is I got to stay in shape. I got to go to the gym and I got to cycle. That's why I start <laughs> cycling a lot. So I, so yeah, I, so yeah, I, so yeah. I'm a MotoGP. So in the mornings, man, especially during the pandemic, I got my cycling game on and there's nothing better than getting your mentals when you're in the country 
and you're, you know, maybe going through a hard you got a crosswind or a headwind and you got to get through it. And it's just, and it's so good to clear that head. I mean, the motorcycle, yeah, but also the cycling. It's just that two-wheel therapy gets you through. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, but it's, it's also like the, the reason I love like motorcycle cycles they're balanced vehicles so basically that they you have to do it with your whole body do you know what i mean the thing yes. about a car is you drive it with your hands and your feet right and like you you, you press the power pedals you, you move the steering wheel and then you go from from a to b and it can i mean like you know some people enjoy that uh i can sort of see that but for me like being on a bicycle being on a motorcycle you have to you do it for a start you do it with your hips you know i mean like yes. you ride a motorcycle through your hips that's where you that's where you you, you move from so it's a full body experience right you 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 to, to control everything and that to me is what I find so satisfying. It, it's much more engaging. It's much more, it's like, uh, I always compare it like uh, motorcycles and cars. It's like watching, uh, watching something on the TV and going to the theater. Do you know what I mean? You're actually engaged. You're actually involved. Yes. You're right in the middle of something. Oh, trust me. I know being a performer. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, 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 yeah. even if you know, if you go to the theater and me, I'm biased for stand up, is that you can see a comic. He can do the same act verbatim, but, Something is going to change every night. Even if he goes verbatim yeah. every night, there's going to be something different. Maybe his inflection, maybe whatever, the crowd reaction. And that's what's so beautiful. Even yeah. if the crowd doesn't talk, it's, and that's what's so beautiful about the job that I do. You know what I mean? And it's about finding that passion. Yeah. That passion was for stand-up. And that passion now, I mean, I love my job, but man, motorcycling is right there. Like, when did you, <laughs> when did you get that passion for bikes to the point it's like, you know what? I think this is what I, I mean. It almost took over everything. Uh, I mean, I've always like I, I, one of the first things I was was a motorcyclist. I mean, the you know above my bed hung a picture of an RD three fifty LC, um, and uh, uh, you know not uh, not pop stars or girl or girls or whatever. It was a motorbike, uh, even though I also did have pop star um, uh, posters as well. But you know, above my bed was the motorbike. Like I grew up around motorbikes. My father rode a motorbike. My um, uh, my uncle raced grass track, uh, which is sort of a bit like flat flat track, but actually just in grass fields uh, in, in the UK. It's a, sort of a Northern European sport. Yeah. Um, uh, and it just, it just sort of, you know, took me, you know, it just, it's just infected me since then. And then I sort of accidentally ended up writing about motorbikes because I wanted to write, uh, well, I wanted to write, I always wanted to write, I've always wanted to be a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't think of anything to write. And so I wrote a MotoGP preview and that was people enjoyed that and so I did a few more and then all of a sudden I felt all right this might be it I might be able to make a living and, and what did you do before what did you do beforehand I mean I always say there's there's I always say it's two part, parts of life before bikes is BB and AB after bikes <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do BB before bikes uh, lots of things I was a programmer um, I have this nasty habit of changing my uh, uh, changing careers every few years. Um, so I was a computer programmer. Uh, I worked on banking systems. I worked on content management systems. Uh, I was a technical editor. I was a translator, translating from Dutch to English because obviously I've been living here for a long time and I speak fluent Dutch. Um, I worked in a you know worked in restaurants and just did, before that I just did you know jobs you know you would go to the employment agency and say have you got any work and then <laughs> yeah and then you found the bikes and then i found the bikes yeah exactly yeah and then we, i found i could afford the bikes <laughs> <laughs> now did you have a was that like an aha moment like when i when i caught lorenzo by surprise at that were you there in the press conference when i thought i was you know i, I made it to the press conference at Hareth when he was on the ducati and it was him marquez and i forget who else and i go what was the aha moment and lorenzo goes what is this aha moment and marquez start laughing <laughs> and the entire paddock i mean the entire press room start laughing and I go, oh shit! And I did, yeah. and I think, and I think you wrote something like, I maybe it was you that said, you know, 
if you're going to ask a Spanish writer something and don't have one of like um, American catchphrase, and I was like, yeah, you're right. Fair game. Fair game. I don't, I, I don't think I would have written that because, I mean, the thing about that's actually much more illustrative of, um, uh, of Jorge Lorenzo, really, because he was really, really narrow. You know, he was yeah. just totally focused. He grew up uh, to be a motorcycle racer. Like his father, uh, his father wrote a book when he was about, I think 11 or 12 or something mm -hmm. saying how to raise a world champion. Uh, um, um, it was called how to raise a world champion, uh, which he then later did. But like, you know, Lorenzo wasn't allowed to go play with other kids. He, he had to do his, uh, his exercises on the, around the cart track. His dad owned a cart track in, I think, Mallorca. Um, and so he was doing these little figure of eights and uh, you know, stuff around the pylons and, and the, uh the sliding the front wheel practice and uh, all these sort of things just to, to uh to learn how to be a, a better racer and that's how he ended up being a world champion but his at that point in his life all he knew about was riding motorcycles so he would have he wouldn't have heard of like an aha moment because <laughs> aha moment like there is it, it's so Everyone's has it. I mean, like it, it exists in so many languages. It exists in Dutch. It exists in German. So it must exist in in Spanish as well. It's just that this was not something he'd come across because all he'd ever thought about was, you know, he only had throttle moments and brake moments up until that moment. <laughs> I thought the greatest thing was was Mark Marquez just busted out laughing when that happened because he, yeah, Jorge looked. Mark thought it was a funny, and I go, okay, I'll take that. If I can make Marquez laugh. Okay, good. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, but yeah. Jorge, that, that's why Jorge looks, I mean, that's why he's kind of, he, I always say he's misunderstood, and I, but he, and I think he's had a good sense of humor, but he's just a little socially awkward. I mean, am, am I yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. writing an assessment? Just a tad bit, but I think he's a good person. I just think he doesn't know, like, sometimes he doesn't know when the joke stops or, or when to like, okay, you don't have to say anything else. No, exactly. He, again, that's part of his upbringing. He was kept away from other kids because he had to practice his, like I say, he literally had to practice. He wasn't allowed to play with his friends. He had to practice uh, his uh, training. He had to practice his, um, uh, he had to practice his front wheel slides and his figure of eights and all the rest of it. Uh, he learned his social skills from uh, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence. <laughs> Did he what? really? Literally, yes, literally. That's how he, um, and, and in fact, if you know the book, uh, there's a few things which he would do, which you know that he got from the book, you know, like calling you by your name, uh, touching your arm when he speaks to you, all these sort of things. And um, it's, it's quite... It's quite remarkable. And it's, it's also interesting because, like, now, it's almost like now, now that he's retired, his um, childhood or his, not even his childhood, I suppose like his, his, uh, his adolescence begins, if you see what I mean, that period of life where you learn to be in, uh, when you learn to socialize with other people, when you learn about boundaries, when you learn about um, uh, how to interact with other, with other people. And that, that's sort of what's happening to him now, I think. Yeah, I mean, I have the picture of him, I think, with some girls, and he looked like a uh, like a teenager. He's like, yeah, oh, girls. I mean, it's like you're five time <laughs> world champion, and it's like he's like a teenager seeing girls for the first time, and it's kind of cute in a way. It's like, wow, okay, Jorge, whatever, man. And he bought the the Lambo with you know, with, and it's, it's yeah, just yeah, kinda, yeah. It's kind of funny and good for him. I know he rubbed Cal the wrong way, you know, with what he's yeah. saying. But but did you but did you disagree with what he was saying about Cal though? Uh, remind me, what was he saying about Cal again? It was a long time ago. It was something about uh, about him not hard, not trying hard enough, or sort of not being a champion. Yeah, that and and with Jack, he was like, you know, you should be winning more instead of doing stoppies, you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and and then Dakota jumped in, and it's like sometimes it's like people don't like that harshness, but if you look behind it, like, okay, was he really lying, or maybe there's a way, there's a way of saying it without saying, yeah. It. You know, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. No, I mean, the, uh, uh, as you say, social skills, it's uh, like he really lacks a certain level, sort of level of social skills. And sometimes he just like butts in where he doesn't really uh, belong, <laughs> if you like. But also, I mean, like, you know, right, right now he's got a um, uh, he's got a podcast on YouTube. You know, he's you know talking about MotoGP and it's quite popular. And then uh one way i mean being controversial saying being not being afraid to say things is 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 a way 
of attracting attention and i think that's uh that might also be sort of what's happening right here how many years have you been in the paddock reporting uh let's see well i went to my first race my first race was the 2008 world superbike round at portimao the first time they went and then 2009 was my first season actually attending racing so that's 12 years okay so we, we came in basically about the same about the same time i mean i never yeah. got the yeah, access yeah, yeah. to recently but okay so wow okay so even in that little bit of time what it what, what what shocked you first when you first got into the paddock what made you go wow because when you see how we say how the how the sausage is made it you go oh my i didn't realize this or oh this is you know they're painting a different picture than what we see so what what shocked you first or what made you go huh i mean well the most interesting part of it for me is like you figure out um that you know it's just a bunch of people trying to get stuff done um and the human the human element that's really what is so so sort of interesting also remember uh i read uh, i don't know if you've ever read it there's a, a book by i think douglas coupland called microsurfs and i read that before i got into programming and like that book you sort of like think oh these programmers they're all really really incredibly intelligent really smart and all the rest of it and then you actually go work in software the software industry and it's just a bunch of dudes um and uh, it's not all that amazing and it was a little bit the same when i went into the paddock where you realize like most of them they're just a bunch of dudes um that, that everyone is trying to do their best yeah they're just trying to do their job but um you know they they're just human they're not gods they're just human and the ride is the same they are not gods they are they are just humans who have this godly level of motorcycle control basically right. um but as we've just seen with maverick vinales you know your your motorcycle control can be as good as you like um but what happens between the ears that's the most important thing and again really like uh, as the longer i'm in this the more interesting i find that human side of racing you know like how much of it is it happens between the ears but how much of it is is just a, uh, is 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 all in the rider's mind about how they cope with things. Uh, and it's worth watching if you've got like the MotoGP.com uh, subscription, the video subscription. Oh, I do, It's yeah. so good to, yeah, go and watch the, the, the races from like on board, watch it from the helicopter shot. You see all of these different perspectives. And what you see is you see, you know, the way that the riders approach things differently. So you could see like, you know, Maverick complains that he can't overtake, and then you watch it, watch the onboard from uh, of him riding, and you see him taking the same line over and over yes. and over again, and he can't get past someone. And then you watch it from from Quattararo, and he's and, he, and he'll try one line. Okay, that's not working. Then the next lap, he'll try it a little bit differently, and he'll try it differently, and eventually he will get past. And it's just about sort of that, like that that creativity, that that way of thinking of anticipation mental flexibility yeah 100 percent. and that's why mark marquez is the best in the world right now because he has more mental flexibility in racing terms than anyone else here's what i think when i saw when i read that when you said mental flexibility and i and i and i applied that it's funny we talked about in the beginning i applied that to what i do and it sounds crazy but yep. here's what i think with maverick i think First of all, I think a psychologist would be good for him. And then a sports psychologist college, college, stems from the childhood. Okay. Yeah. A sports psychologist and, and a psychologist work out. The, and I, you know, I, don't, I, I hate, 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 hate. I think there's something there with his dad. And I don't know about his mom, but you, you resolve the family issues. Okay. You resolve that. Now, then you get to the sports part. And I really think, man, it sounds crazy, but I think he needs, he needs, he needs, he needs. You know, like 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 in like a like an improv course because it's like you said when you said mental flexibility and improv you learn you know take a different yeah okay whose line is anyway whatever you know try this different or try in acting you know okay let's do it again hey try it this way you know way you know way this line this way and pretending so apply that to racing and it's like you said he's doing the same line every time damn it it's not working well how about you go on this side dummy or how about you know when when he thinks you're going to go on the inside go on the outside or wait or attack him when he's not ready for it i remember racing a karting track and i did the same thing i passed somebody when i didn't even think i was going to do it but i made it and we both were surprised so i think an improv course and a sports psychologist would do him wonders because for some reason i feel a kinship with maverick i don't know why but i think it's because yeah. he's a loner 
And being a comic, you're a loner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. you know, we, we, we even though Marcus didn't have an entourage, he has his, little, his assistant. Everybody has an assistant. But if you watch Maverick, you know, like he'll come to the he'll come to the uh, the press or whatever. He might have his trophy, he might have his helmet, and he's trying to juggle all his things, but nobody's holding it for him. He, like he's got somebody said that he goes. Yeah. You notice he's he's not like they're like, hey Maverick, can I hold it? He goes, no, I got it. And he's trying to do all this stuff where other guys, hey, uh, Marquez has somebody to hold his helmet or hold his trophy while he adjusts himself or do whatever. But Maverick didn't have that, and I think that makes a difference. No, but I mean that's. It makes a huge, it does make a huge difference, but it's also, I mean, like, uh, in the end, so much of this is about ambition and, and different people are driven on by by different things. Uh, like I was saying to someone else, there's like this, there's two kinds of races. There's um, the races with really solid, uh, good environments, strong family, strong friend groups. And you see that, for example, Mark Marquez, Juan Mir, Valentino Rossi, uh, like they, they, they have this really strong network around them. And that's what helps them focus on racing. And then you get the, um, the then you get the people who are fucked up. Then you get the, 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 the Maverick Vinales and the Jorge Lorenzo and the Max Biaggis and the people whose intense, um, they're angry at the world and they turn that anger or, well, it's usually not the world. It's usually, you know, something in their childhood or whatever. And they turn that anger into performance. They turn that anger into ambition, into, you know, trying to show the world. I'm going to show the world and I'm going to show the world what I can do. Um, and like, yeah, it, it's, if you try to treat that for a lot of them, if you try to treat that, uh, they will, they're afraid that it will take away their superpower. Do you know what I mean? Like their superpower yeah. is this, is this burning, burning ambition inside them. And they're afraid of uh, touching that. I, I mean, I don't know if there was a British uh, comedian, very famous in the 1940s, 50s and 60s called uh, Tony Hancock is one of the comedic greats of, the, of that period. And um, they say that there is a moment um, he was interviewed by, um, uh, I think, uh, Parkinson, one of the great TV interviewers. And uh, basically the, the, the interviewer was just sitting down and asking about the, if you like, the mechanics of, count of comedy, how, how, how it all works. And um, uh, Hancock had never really thought about that before, and he was starting to explain it. And then that interview famously marks the end of his career because he started to play around, he started to think about what he was doing. And so it changed, it like took away his magic. And he started to think, all right, you know, I'm naturally funny. Uh, so he would stop learning his lines, for example. He would he would start just really reading stuff off of uh, off of cue cards and, and it, it destroyed his career. It's actually a really, really, I mean, you as a comedian, I think you should look into it. It's really, it is absolutely fantastic to, no. to, 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 to read about because it's such an interesting case. And I think for a lot of writers, they're afraid as well of that, uh, that sort of sports psychologist thing that it will come too close. It'll come to a part where they don't want to go because they, you know, they're too focused on it. And the really strong, I mean, if you're already mentally strong, then you you're prepared to use that vulnerability, if you like, mm -hmm. to make progress by accepting that sort of, uh, that sort of, help but there's also the there's also the, the whole macho culture you know like uh, you're not injured unless there's something quite clearly missing you know uh, if you <laughs> you're, you're perfectly healthy unless both arms have fallen off you know like you know even a, one and a half arms more than enough you should be out there racing and and mental illness and, and you know mental weakness it's very much seen as a weakness and i think that's that is a real uh, i think that's a, a real problem for a lot of people but two things I think is that one, you know, you could see it kind of coming and it's almost there is that it's that it's that new breed coming in, starting with uh, me, yeah. starting with Fabio. And it's weird to say this, but I mean, Marquez is kind of the, the new that's the old. He's the new old. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. this new breed coming this in. This is. Go ahead. Yeah, this, this is exactly. I mean, this is the, what um, what I found interesting is because. Uh, so you see these generations come in, 
right. you see them, you know, keep coming in. Uh, if you're in there long enough, you will see them come through all this time. And it happens all the time. So I'm currently, I'm probably on like generation three or something. That's, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the veterans who've been, the people like Matt, Matt Oxley and whatever, you know, they've seen, you know, 10 generations come through. But it's, it is always fascinating to see because there's a, there's a, a role you have to see. I mean, like I, I really started um, uh, really focusing on racing when Valentina Rossi, with the rise of Valentina Rossi. Up until then, I was sort of like, you know, watching World Superbike mostly for um, uh, for Carl Fogarty, because that was much more interesting than watch Mick Doohan win, win every week. And then Valentino Rossi came along, uh, along and like really shook it up. Um, uh, but that, he was the young upstart. Do you know what I mean? He was this young upstart kicking all these old guys' asses and then, uh, you know, changing them, changing the sport. Uh, and then he gets a little bit older and, you know, Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo comes along, um, Casey Stoner comes along. They're the young kids. Uh, and then Mark Marcus comes along, uh, who starts to kick their asses. And now we have Fabio Quattararo yes. come along. But that's that's the thing. When you're a champion, the, the, uh, when you, when you are on on top, you know, king of the hill, top of the mountain, uh, you're the guy with the with the target on his back. You're the guy that everyone has to try and beat. And so they study you very very closely. They study what you do and they try and uh, imagine ways to beat you. I was talking to a um, an ex racer uh, a while ago, and he was saying about Anea Bastianini. He was very impressed with what Bastianini was doing, uh, because Bastianini was sliding the front the way that um, Mark Marquez was was sliding the front. Yes, um, uh, and so that's like. You know, nobody used to slide the front, but then Casey Stoner started doing it sort of from time to time. And now Mark Marquez does it all of the time. He uses it as a way to actually, uh, you know, like control the bike, to actually get the bike to turn, to actually use the corner speed and whatever. Um, and now, uh, now now it's a commonplace. Now Anea Bastianini has, you know, the, the, all these other riders are coming along. They're watching Marquez ride and think, all right, that's that's how you do it. So they do that. And then they try and, add a layer on top of that, find the yeah. next level, you know, because they have to add a layer on top to actually beat him. That's theirs. That's there. And that's yes. why with the new generation, you know, we talked about the machoism and I think it's always going to be there because just of the nature of the sport. And, yeah. but in that, and so I think when it comes to that, uh, Fabio got a sports psychologist. So I don't yes. think so. And I don't think it was maybe a stick, a stick, a stick, before beforehand it'd be like you got a sports psychologist what kind of pussy are you where now yeah. it's like hey man I, this is going to help you because i mean i mean it, i think everybody's strength is also can be their weakness where if you're strong mentally yeah well then there's something that also is going to it's going to be a detriment to you in other areas of life so i mean he was so passionate but when it didn't go right for him in Haret that first year we're like we're like we're like we're like and something happened to the bike remember and he broke down yeah. and he was just crying and then you get the sports psychologist and then you saw, and you're seeing the benefits of that this year and this new generation coming up where it's okay to go hey man you know i'm not right mentally maybe i need this to calm me out and balance my life out and maybe you know compartmentalize and i think that's where the new generation comes in where i think it's going to make it even better cuz i think and correct me if i'm wrong you've been there also and we've seen the changes but i just yeah. have to believe that this we're in the a golden era of, I mean, you see what's happening with yeah. Pedro Acosta yeah, yeah, yeah. coming up. You got Raul Fernandez. I think Raul Fernandez has to move up because he don't want to race Pedro Acosta. I mean, I think he's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go to GP because I don't want no part of this little guy. You know what I mean? And then you got, and no one's talking about Sergio Garcia, who's also, I mean, if it wasn't for Pedro Acosta, we'd yeah. be talking about Garcia. And then you got Adrian Fernandez, yeah. once once he learns how to ride, not want to fight his teammate, I think he's going to be up there. So we just keep upping the level, which I think is beautiful. And, and I, you know, I asked people uh, when I, I, you know, I, I was interviewing the man, I said, you got any questions for the man? And one of the questions was, what's the single greatest racing performance you've ever witnessed? Um, gosh, that is a really, that's a really difficult, uh, that's a really difficult answer, uh, question to answer just because there's, there's been so many, yes. uh, honestly, like last week, Mark Marcus at the Saxon ring, that was very impressive. I think the most impressive I saw was when Valentino Rossi was given, what was it? A 10 second penalty in or Phillip something. Island. 
in uh, Phillip Island, 2003, I want to say, but it yes. might be 2002. And then all of a sudden he's going three quarters of a second. He's lapping three quarters of a, uh, of a second faster. Um, that was just, just astonishing. That was genuinely astonishing. That whole ride uh, uh, was uh, an, an amazing. That he just he could step it up, and then you really saw what his level was. But you know, like Mar some of Mark Marcus's rides, if you think of his um, uh, ride through the field at Valencia uh, when he stalled the bike on Mataghi and just came through, that genuinely, those are moments you go, okay, this is this is something. This is something really special. This is something really, uh, uh, really special. So. Um, yeah, uh, like I say, the, the trouble is I've seen a lot of races, and so um, it's uh, it's hard to remember them all. Um, <laughs> but the, but there are there are so many. There are also just so many special moments. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? Like uh, the Stoner versus um, uh, Stoner versus Rossi at Laguna Seca was fantastic as well. Oh uh, like I, I was a huge. There, there was also one year I think it must have. It, it was probably 2011, for example, Casey Stoner on the Honda at Estoril, where he just destroyed everyone, completely destroyed them, was so much faster than them. That, again, was astonishing. But then, you know, Rossi versus uh, Stoner at, at Laguna Seca, that was, it wasn't racing, it was a knife fight. It was genuinely, they were, they were trying to, uh, you know, the, the, the Highlander moment, there can be only one. It was obvious. <laughs> it was about so much more than just winning at Phillip Island. Um, uh, that, that was, that was really amazing to watch. It's the mental warfare that I love more than anything. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. honestly, it it's like when, um, Oh, I had it. Oh, it was right on the precipice. Oh, oh, uh, mental. I said mentally. Oh, I was. I just had it. I also. I and I also last week with Marquez at uh, yeah. Assen, we went from twentieth to tenth, and you can see he yeah. was still hurting. But that was a great ride. Also, what he did. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I'll tell you another great ride was also uh, uh, Remy Gardner uh, in Germany as well, where he's leading uh, Raúl Fernández. Yeah, and he's just ratcheting up the pressure. You can see him just pull, you know, going a little bit faster, a little bit faster, uh, and he's he's you're basically like tempting the person behind you into a mistake. That kind of that takes the enormous. It, I mean, it takes the skill to be able to ride that fast. First of all, but secondly, it also takes the the sang froid, you know, the cold bloodedness to just you know ratchet up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and see see how far you can put someone under pressure oh, um it's beautiful i find that just yeah yeah yeah. i find it mental. fascinating i yeah. think and what i was trying to get back to i finally remembered it, it nothing demonstrates the mental warfare and like you said the coldness than watching undaunted dovey and how marquez yeah. was in his 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 and how he had to he would try to overcome that mental and it was it's all it was in a way hard to watch because what yep. Marquez had did to him and he was trying to overcome it and he didn't he and Gigi weren't getting along and he wanted to beat Marquez so bad and he was trying to come up with that mental way and he just never really did it I mean he had moments he had moments like you know what in, in Austria yep. which was a great race and how he did it yeah everybody's had their moments against Marquez but man over a season I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can, is the Johnny Ray of MotoGP in a way, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, he will drive you to the point goes, I can't beat him overseas. That's why when those guys get that one up on him, it's like their season. When, when I was there, when, when Renz outdid him in Silverstone and you see yeah. the, 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 the unseen and they're in that car together to go to the podium, how Marquez is just, I mean, you could just see it. You could just see it and feel him seething inside. Like this ain't gonna happen yeah. again. You know, it ain't gonna be no rematch. I mean, that's the way, and yeah. that's so beautiful to watch because they're all basically the same, but it's always what's between the ears. And man, I've always said this, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, when it comes to mental toughness, as mentally strong athletes, I think it goes Michael Jordan. And then I put Mar Marquez in the top three. Yeah, I, that, that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely say that. The other thing that you have to remember about this mental toughness is it's not even about winning; it's about not wanting to lose. They hate losing much, much more than they than they enjoy winning. Like the winning is, uh, uh, you know, it's not about 
crossing the line first is the fact that you cross the line in front of a whole bunch of other people. And so losing is the, the worst possible thing that you can imagine. I was at the, you remember the, uh, the flat track race they had in Barcelona, the super prestigia. Yes. Um, the, the, the first year Mark Marcus lost out to, I think Brad Baker. Yes. Um, and uh, like on the podium, he was all like Brad Baker was the best flat track racer in the world. Um, uh, sure, he went over to Barcelona uh, and he was sort of like in, in Mark Marquez's house, but Mark Marquez isn't a flat track racer. You know, he does it just for fun. You know, it's his hobby. Mm -hmm. He's a MotoGP racer. Uh, and yet Mark Marquez was expecting to win that. And I was told by someone who was in uh, in a garage um, or sort of, you know, downstairs that after the race, after Mark had lost, he was sort of off in a little uh, in a little sort of um, uh, hallway to the side because uh, it's in this great big stadium. And Marcus was absolutely livid. He was, you know, shouting and angry and all the rest of it because he'd lost. He found it, it was a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. But then the great thing about Mark Marquez is, you know, he comes out, you know, two minutes screaming and, and shouting, comes out and is extremely gracious. You know, Brad did a brilliant job. Uh, all the rest of it accepted it and were sort of moved on. And that, again, is... Um, the sign of a great athlete is being able to leave your mistakes behind you. So uh, I remember thinking this about watching Valentino Rossi, and it's the same with Mark Marquez. Uh, to an extent, now also, I think you can see it with Fabio Quattararo as well. When they make a mistake, that mistake, um, you see other riders and they'll make a mistake and they'll, you'll see them carry that mistake for about half a lap because they're having to compensate. and They're trying to make up for the time that they're lost and they're, they're annoyed at themselves, so they have to get rid of it. But they, uh, with, with People like Mark Marquez, uh, the, the mistake happened. Oh, God. Is he still there? Oh, he froze. Is that on his end? Is that on his end? Think about it. They don't like the doubt from that mistake. You, you play in their minds. You know, it, it's funny with Mark. Like he, you know, like he said, no one saw him get mad or angry and then come back and gather himself. The one thing I remember was when, remember he was playing with Fabio and Sepang, you know, and Fabio basically was like, okay, you want to play? And Marquez got behind him and then he high-sided. Remember that when he high-sided and then he yeah. came. And the great thing about when he, and I don't think Marquez knew the camera was there because he has a great way of masking his pain, whatever. And he didn't know the camera was there and he was walking back and he just stopped and said, fuck, because he was hurt so yeah. bad. And, and you see him just go, fuck. And then he went back in the garage and I always, I felt guilty for laughing, but he was okay. But you can tell yeah. he was hurting and he acted like he wasn't hurt and he didn't see the camera and he just said, fuck. And then he came back, of course, and did what he did. But man, I thought that was one of the greatest, 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 greatest. Um, and okay, so also, as I got to wrap, man, I hate this because I knew I was going to get this way, Dave. You are <laughs> uh, 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 okay, greatest rider you've ever seen not named Marquez, Rossi, or Stoner? Oh, God, that's, oh, that's, um, gosh, that's a tough, uh, um, do you know what I, I, I might say, uh, Jonathan Ray, just because of the way that he, has dominated um, world superbikes. And the measure of Jonathan Ray is what he's done or what he did on the Honda. You didn't realize how bad the Honda superbike was until he left and, and started cleaning up on, a, uh, on the Kawasaki. Uh, I think that's truly the measure of a great rider is when uh, it's when they win on bikes that other people uh, can't do. But I suppose, I mean, you have to say Casey Stoner, if I'm not allowed to say Mark Marquez or Valentino Rossi, um, then you have to say Casey Stoner just because of the things that he was doing were impossible. He was doing things which were not supposed to be possible on a, on a motorcycle. And again, you know, he was winning, he was, you know, cleaning up on that Ducati and um, no one else could win on it. So I think that is yeah, the, the, the really the measure of the man. How do you approach the Rossi situation? Because we know that, I mean, I think it's time. And how would you approach that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so being, but you have to hey, be delicate. Valentino Rossi. We, we don't, yeah, no, but we don't get to approach it. You know, like it's, it's, it's Valentino Rossi. He gets to decide. That is, 
that's the problem because I hear all sorts of sort of tales out of the Patronus carriage that they're not all that uh, delighted with the situation, especially with the results. But the thing is, like I say, like uh, these people hate losing. They really hate losing. And I don't think he's enjoying racing anymore. Um, and so I think because he's not enjoying racing anymore, uh, he wants to leave. Uh, you know, he, he, he can go off and race cars and win and enjoy that. He enjoys, you know, he enjoys racing cars as well. So uh, I think in the end, it's going to come down to he can go off, race cars and enjoy that. It'll be interesting to see if he if he races a car in this summer break, because that might sort of flip his mind. But I think I think he knows in his mind the way that he was talking, not just at the Saxon ring, but also at Assen, mm -hmm. uh, it sounded like the decision had really already been made. Yeah, I was watching that, that pre-race presser, and it just looked like he he was done. I mean, when they mentioned Max, B, I just said something nice yeah, about yeah. him, and there was nothing in his eyes, nothing like a a kind of you know, uh, a sense of like a, yeah, maybe la uh, ha ha or whatever. It was just a straight deadpan, like okay, he's done. And the way he's responding to the questions, man, and and a little pause, you know, a pause to tell you everything in life almost. I mean, yes. when it's an easy question, and yeah, I go, yeah. then pauses told me everything I needed to know. You know, they really, and it's hard to watch, but I mean, like I said, it's it's time sometimes, you know? And also, hold on, man, see this question. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think you'll get this one. Uh, do you remember wearing an inappropriate cap at Qatar years ago while accidentally photobombing one of the official Dorna riders during an interview? uh possibly i no i don't remember it but i i mean it wouldn't surprise me i have been known to i i mean like i before world superbikes was uh owned by dawner i used to turn up to their race in the world superbike t-shirt because i knew it used to annoy them so yeah it's just <laughs> one of those things you like to do that was dylan gray who asked that question man i, I you know that's why i love about this yeah, right. that's what i love about this show is i get to i mean interview you guys and dylan, i i got uh, dylan on here you know, yeah. I mean, I, a lot of time for Dylan. Dylan, it was also it was also a delight to uh, to listen to Dylan. He was such a such a smart guy. Yeah, I mean, you like I said, you Dylan Max. It was like I was like, do I really want to talk to these guys? I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm not in, I'm not in that level, man. I mean, and so the great thing about it is having you guys chat. Like I could, I have nobody here to chat MotoGP here with, with you know, with like I talk about new generations. My my producer, who's a great producer, is 19. He doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. Has no idea who Pearl Jam is. <laughs> He's 19. He has Google. He doesn't know yeah, who but... Pearl Jam is. There is no yeah, but don't take a form. He does. I mean, <laughs> there is no yeah, but, and it annoys me every time I come it's in. It's a teaching, <laughs> but it's a t take it as a teaching moment. I mean, it's an opportunity to introduce people to to to, to something. But new, he doesn't want to learn. Something they might enjoy. He doesn't want to learn, Dave. Oh, he doesn't want to learn. I'm trying to teach the person. He goes, "Really, you like oh. this?" And I go, "You know what? Go to bed." I just tell him to go to bed. I mean, just just post. post <laughs> <laughs> post my podcast and go to bed is what I tell him. Before, before I get okay, greatest racetrack, greatest racetrack on on the GP circuit. Um, I mean, Philip. Well, it's a toss up between Philip Island and uh, Magello. I mean, I have a soft spot for Aston, obviously, but I mean, uh, I think I would have to say uh, Philip Island. I, I love Philip Island. I mean, do you need an explanation? It's just mag. It's just you know, it's it's what a motorcycle uh, racetrack should be. It's it's very very fast, very very challenging, and very very and glorious, and just the setting of it. And that's why you know Mugello is a close thing. Also, Mugello is just spectacular. They they, they have everything which a, which a, a motorcycle racetrack should be. Oh, what track do you go? Ugh, I gotta go here. I think I know what you're gonna say. I think I know what you're gonna say because every man, every man to a woman to everybody I've talked to does not like this place. But the racetrack, you go. Ugh, I don't even want to go here. Uh, uh, personally, I don't like. Um, uh, I'm not all that keen on the Red Bull Ring, you know, in Austria. But I mean, the thing is, it's Valencia. But the trouble is with Valencia is, it's the end of the season, and by the end of the season, like you are pretty much done you are pretty much cooked you just you know you just don't want to be there um uh and then you go to valencia it's the last race and the weather's a bit weird 
And, uh, you know, you've got a test afterwards usually as well, sort of, you know, like two days, it used to be three days of testing afterwards. And it was, it just went on forever. I mean, but you, you would age about 15 years uh, every time you went to the Valencia racetrack. But there is, a, again, the thing about Valencia is if you go up and stand up on the inside of, what is it, turn 13, uh, the, the long, long, long left-hander, there is no better place to watch, uh, watch riders from uh, than the, the, that hill and that, uh, that that corner you're close and you see them it's just I mean, amazing i i mean you know it's funny everybody yeah kind of talks bad about valencia but i really have grown to love it i it, yeah. it's a, it's always a special place to me it's magic man i maybe because i was there when uh when marquez and dovey all dovey i mean if marquez crashed and dovey whatever won and you know he could have won the championship and then yeah. But Lorenzo mapping eight came, he didn't get over, and then Lorenzo yeah. crashed, and Dovey crashed, and I was right in front of Dovey's uh, pit. I mean, God, it's just a special place for me. I, lo yeah. I love it. I, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I just, oh. so, so which one do you hate then? About. Hate, hate, I don't hate any of them. I mean, it's <laughs> GP, there's not, but I thought you were going to yeah, say yeah. Le Mans because nobody, nobody, oh, nobody, yeah. nobody. nobody. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Le Mans is a, Le Mans is an absolute whole. It, it, it's more just like the fans are absolutely genuinely. It's like Mad Max. You do worry if you're around there after dark that you you're going to end up on a uh, on a pole being you know stripped naked and being barbecued. Uh, it, it, it has that feel to it. But the town itself, like I stayed in the town a few times now, and it's uh, and the town the town is charming. It's a lovely little French city um, uh, and, and well worth a visit. It's just I wouldn't necessarily go to uh, go where there's a race on oh i knew i was gonna get that out of you okay since since you're so open and you're not afraid uh who's the one rider that you just uh, adore i mean love talking to and who's a pleasure to who's always been open to you and who's like you just go you know what if i could live a thousand years i would never want to talk to this person ever again i, I mean i used to i used to the, the most interesting riders are the ones who can tell you stuff. Uh, riders can't always tell you stuff. I mean, you know, you you you, you know, you have you feel an affection for them because of their sort of personality. Uh, I mean, someone like like Shuan Mir is a charming, lovely young man. Yes, he um, is. He can describe he can describe things to you, but it's not the same. Uh, like Dovi was could sometimes be churlish. Um, but he could describe you things to you in incredible detail. The same with, with Casey Stoner. It was fantastic because he could describe things to you in, in intense detail and pinpoint exactly why something was the way that it was. This is why it isn't working. This is why uh, this won't work. And so, like, if you needed to understand something, those were the riders uh, that, that, that you would ask. And right now, I mean, Miguel Oliveira is a bit like that, but Oliveira is sort of uh, engaged in this sort of battle with um, uh, with the journalists. It's quite clear that he doesn't want to be there. He absolutely hates us. And so sometimes you get sort of into this little war, like little mental war of, um, you know, like no one's, who wants, who's going to back down first. But um, apart from, you know, I quite like him. And, journal, you know, right as I'm glad that I never have to speak to again, Andrea Iannone, because he, I mean, he hated us. He genuinely hated us and he never had anything interesting to say. And, uh, you know, he just, um, he was a waste of, he was a waste of time. Incredibly talented rider. And again, one of these riders where mentally there is, if he could get it, get it together mentally, he would have been multiple world champion, but he didn't, he was, you know, just, just too damaged and too disinterested. That was the biggest waste of talent. And it almost makes me mad because, man, if there's anybody who went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Marquez, it was him. I mean, mm -hmm. he wasn't scared. And it was yeah, and, too. Yeah, and I think, and honestly, I think I think Marquez respected about him. And they would go bar to bar and bang. And I think that yeah. they had both these others respect. Like Marquez, like, he knew it was going to be a 12-round fight. They both did. And they weren't afraid, man. It was like in the middle of the ring, yeah. pop, 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 blow for blow. And he had known he came out on top yeah. sometimes, and Marquez came out on top sometimes. That was great racing. And when he had it dialed in, he had known he was a tough out. He was a tough out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, a hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, you can't really call it a waste of talent because you know, like that, the mental aspect of of racing is where he fell down, and that's what he just didn't have. And so, like, he couldn't waste that talent because he didn't have it. He couldn't put it to good use. You know, he didn't have the tools to put it to good use. 
over a 18, 19, 20 race season. And so, you know, that's, that's why, he, uh, you know, that, that's why he could never actually be champion. And that's, uh, I was not surprised to learn that um, he, he got caught or, uh, you know, he was accused of and convicted of um, uh, a doping offense. Dave, one word answers before we get here. One word answers, one word. I don't want to, okay. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to essay. One word answers. The 2021 MotoGP champion will be. Uh, Fabio Quartararo. Oh, that's two words. <laughs> yeah. I had to say it was Fabio. The two, the, the Moto Two champion. Uh, Remy Gardner. Yeah, easy. Uh, oh, not easy, but uh, he has the tools. He's doing it. Moto Three. And Moto Three is easy. I mean, it's going to be Pedro Acosta because he's already in an unassailable position. And and the one question I want to ask you: one word answer. MotoGP means what to you? Uh, passion. Oh, I think I love passion. It. Oh, I love it. I knew I'd get that out of you, Dave. Oh my God, Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave. Is there the time? I could, I could, I could. I really, I just wanted to get into deep, deep, deep into you. And I knew, you know, about the racing aspect, but it was the other part, and you didn't disappoint, which I knew you wouldn't. And thanks for taking it easy on me intellectually. And I, <laughs> I really mean, <laughs> I was so afraid. Was, I was, was like, a... oh man. Go ahead. Yeah, no, there's no need to. I mean, it's, it's always a, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you because you are an interesting person too. You know, you have a different perspective, and I think it's really interesting to have other perspectives than just a bunch of old white men. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave, you know I appreciate you, and honestly, from the bottom of my heart, there is nothing but love for you, my friend. I can't wait to see you. Are you coming to Austin? Are you, wait, are you coming to Austin, Texas? Are you coming to? Are you gonna be a coda? Uh, not sure. I would like to, but we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. I okay, so. Dave. I hope so, and I hope you people from Tales from Gemini. I hope you enjoyed my chat with one of the greats. And I do, I do, I do, I do. Thank you so much for your time, Dave. I appreciate you. Check out his website, motomatters.com. Me also. You can check out his articles on asphalt and rubber. The guy is just the greatest in my book. Not only just a journalist, is as a person, a humanitarian. I love the guy. Thank you guys for watching Tales from the Gemini. And like I said about this time, you know how I do. Peace.